You're listening to the Creekside Church Sunday morning message. And now, a message from Pastor George. Hey, you know what? Uh, I just, for whatever reason, I was sitting there worshiping and hanging out, and uh, even, I I don't know what it is today, uh, or even last week, but we're closing out our series of I Love My Church. And I realize that half the time we show up here and the stage is lit and the room is dark. And the reality is, is some of you may not even know, you know, who else is in the room with you. I know you can see, but is there a way we could turn on the house lights? We have to do it over there. Yeah. Take a look around. Some of y'all look different (laughs) in the light. (laughs) Some of y'all didn't say, I didn't put on my full light makeup. Hold on. (laughs) No, leave it on for a second. We're going to be in church together. Is this weird to everybody? (laughs) It is, huh? I can see you now. Just drink it in. (laughs) Just (laughs) take it in for a second. We're in church with other people. It's not just about us. Uh, Why did I do that? I have no idea, but listen. (laughs) Here's what I want to do today. I want to help every single one of us. I want to help us see that loving people doesn't just impact the people within our church. Loving people, loving one another, also has a kingdom impact outside of these walls. And if you have a hard time loving people within these walls... I promise you, you're going to have a difficult time loving people outside of these walls. Because this is the safest place where you can learn and develop your ability to love people the way Christ has loved you. Not just, I mean, it's easy to go out these doors and love your family members who have loved you first. Or, you know, it's easy to scratch someone else's back if they scratched yours first. I'm talking about a different kind of love today. A love that we share that impacts those outside for eternity. Now, uh, I forgot to mention this, and I was supposed to do this during the child dedication. We gave uh, Nick and Tia and uh, uh, Patty a gift, and in the bag uh, was a stuffed animal, Ezra's first Bible, and then two letters. One a letter for the parents that they could read today, and also a letter of encouragement and and challenge for Ezra on the day he turns 13. So uh, I didn't want you guys, I want you guys to know that we did that so you can continue to pray for Ezra. So also, I don't know if you guys know what's going on in the news, uh, but we need to continue to pray for Israel. And uh, this hits a little closer to home for us because you may or may not know this, but a family that we support through Harvest Offering, uh, Marco and Abby Ricciardi, um, they, I got an email yesterday morning saying we're moving into our shelter, our uh, safe room, because the uh, air raid sirens just went off. So it, I don't know the details. I don't know what exactly is going on. I read some about it, uh, but I know it's not good. 
but I know God is bigger. So we need to stand with Israel. We need to pray for Israel and pray for the people, everyone that is going to be afflicted by whatever is going on. Is that cool? All right. Um, so pray for them. I don't know how to transition from that to this outside of God. Let your grace cover us and let your sovereignty be evident in all that's going on. We pray for Israel for protection. Keep them in your grip and uh, let this be resolved quickly and uh, let lives be spared. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Um, so we're just going to get right into it. How do we love in a way out there that impacts people for eternity? How do we love one another? I want you to think of a restaurant. Think of your favorite restaurant that you were super excited about. That, that, uh, and I know some of you, we got texts and emails that you tried the $9 or whatever it is now, Ruth Chris Happy Hour Hamburger. So uh, think about your favorite restaurant. Think about a restaurant you were super excited to go, but it turned out to be such a dud. Don't name it out loud. You were so you were you heard a lot about this restaurant. You you were you know oh you got to go here. It's the best food ever. And then you went and that's happened to me a lot. You know because everybody you know you got three hundred people in Creekside Church and everybody has oh you got to try this. You got to try that. You got to try this. And not everyone's going to be a grand slam. But do you have a restaurant that you heard about that you were super excited to go to, but it turned out to be a dud? Let me give you a couple examples. I don't know how many of you guys have been to Disneyland. Raise your hand if you've been to Disneyland because you wanted to go. And, and, you know, we went one year and we were told all about this place called Carnation Cafe. The fried chicken's amazing. The mashed potatoes on point. The ma- I mean, it was just great. Carnash, uh, car, car, uh, Carnation, Kardashian. <laughs> Carnation Cafe. This is why I have notes, people. I have no idea where my mind's going. Carnation Cafe on Disney's Main Street. We heard a lot about it from people who love Disneyland. Grown adults who act like children at Disneyland. <laughs> great atmosphere. Great atmosphere, they said. It's right there on Main Street. You can see the fireworks. My wife and I tried it, and the food was actually not good. The chicken was super greasy. The mashed potatoes were dry. And on top of that, it was way expensive. See, we prefer like the, the corn dog at that little red wagon Carnation Cafe, great atmosphere. You're in Disneyland. There's nothing bad happening in Disneyland. Everything's great. Everything's meticulous. But the food was horrible and it was expensive. But then you have like the Oakland Kaiser Cafe. Exactly. (laughs) Most of you guys are going, what? But you don't understand. The food in the Oakland Kaiser Cafe is amazing. You don't know unless you've tried it. (laughs) Great food, horrible atmosphere. (laughs) Nobody's going to be like, babe, let's go. I got got the perfect place for us for date night. Oakland Kaiser Cafe. Great food, horrible atmosphere. 
Carnation Cafe, great atmosphere, horrible food. See, a great dining experience really comes down to those two things, don't it? Doesn't it? Sorry. I'm, I'm on one today. A great dining experience really comes down to those two things, food and atmosphere. We all know this to be true. It's all about what you see and what you taste. Both play. For, for math people in the house, here's the equation. Food plus atmosphere equals what? Experience. Because you could go to a place and it could have great food but a horrible atmosphere and you're like, oh, this is not a good experience. You go to a place that has horrible food in a great atmosphere, still, eh, not a great experience. If you hear about a new restaurant coming to town, aren't those the two things that you really ask about? How's the atmosphere? Is it clean? Are they friendly? Do they greet you? You ask, how's the food? What did you have? What's the feel of the restaurant? What's the, what's the look of the restaurant? Should I dress up? Do I have to dress down? Is it casual? Is it formal? I mean, listen, we, we my wife and I, we tend to eat out probably more than we should. And, you know, we've had some great experiences in restaurants. I mean, we shared, I talked about one that my wife still talks about today, the hamburger at Ruth's Chris happy hour. She still talks about it today. It's, it's my wife's favorite hamburger. You, have may, you may have visited another restaurant that is touched by the hand of God, in and out. <laughs> Great food. Clean place. My, my daughter and I, since she was probably three to five years old. Since that age, we have always gone on a date, usually on Tuesday nights. And then 90% of the time, our date is at another fine dining establishment, Chick-fil-A. <laughs> and it's great food with a great atmosphere. You can do no wrong or ask for no wrong thing at Chick-fil-A because everything you ask for is their pleasure. Now, to tie this into our last few weeks, Jesus has given us new lives without fences. We've taken off the mask. We broke down the fences because Jesus obliterated the fence between us and God. Lives that are a part of this new community is, that he is creating, this life in this community, in this church, in his kingdom, is life as it was meant to be giving us a new identity and a new set of values and a new set of principles that we just don't talk about, but we live by as well. Remember back to week one, I said our reputation, our reputation as people of this new community, our reputation as Christ followers, our, rep our reputation as Creekside Church should be one of love. One of love. God wants all people to know this life of salvation, of forgiveness, of peace, of hope, of His goodness, of purpose. That's His desire that all people know this. 
So here's the question I'd like for every single one of us to consider today. This question. How do people come to this new life with God? How, how do people come to this, this, this relationship with Jesus? How do people hear about Christ and discover Christ? How, how do they experience the kingdom of God here on earth? Does it just happen? You know, does... I'm, I'm sure God can do what God, only God can do and maybe speak directly to people. But I think it's a little bit more than that. I want us to read Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there now. If you've got your favorite uh, Bible app on your digital device, you can click on Matthew chapter 5, 5 verse 13 through 16. It says this, you are the what? Of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it can give light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Could it be that God entrusts you and I? That God expects us to steward in some way, shape, or form. That He entrusts you and I, entrusts us to create a kingdom experience. It says, you are the what? Salt. Salt brings taste. It's a flavoring agent. It's a seasoning it, it brings, salt brings flavor to a plain potato. I've never heard anyone go, just, mmm, a plain potato. <laughs> I'll take one of those. Salt also preserves. I mean, someone gives you a plate of food where, you know, with no flavor, and what are the first words that come out of your mouth? Can you pass the Can you pass the salt? So don't miss what Jesus is telling us in this metaphor. He's making it clear how necessary and important that we are to the welfare of this world. Because of Christ, our lives have been changed transformed we are not what we used to be and as we continue to pursue the kingdom of heaven people listen to this now our presence is necessary our presence is necessary as god's vehicle of influencing this world for the good regardless of status or profession this kingdom life that you and i are living the kingdom life that we possess is invaluable and it will affect those who live in our sphere of 
influence in our everyday walking around lives. Sometimes I think we just get caught up in, oh, this only matters when I'm in church or I'm dealing with a church person that I know. It says also that you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Let me give you a little context. In Jesus' time, they had you know, these small wicker oil lamps which you know, gave little light in the average home of that day that had few windows. And they were most effective when they were set up on a lampstand. Even the smallest of light that's lifted up can chase away darkness. Light removes the darkness. In the same way that Jesus' life and message of salvation brought light to you and I. His disciples are a living demonstration of the arrival of the kingdom of God. A living demonstration. So don't miss the metaphor either. Light removes darkness. We not only carry the light of the gospel, but we are also that light. We're just not carriers of it. Because of the work of the Spirit in our lives, our transformation has produced kingdom light within us. We're changed. And it's affecting every aspect of our being, turning us into positive influencers in this sin-darkened world. I know some of us are being hit with the reality of going, well, I, I play a bigger part in this than I realized. I thought I was just checking off a box to make sure I was good with God. But it's so much more than that. As salt and light, we bring the taste and atmosphere of Jesus. If food plus atmosphere equals experience, then experience of the kingdom comes from his followers. I said this to our our volunteer team uh, this morning in the pre-service huddle, and I say it often because it's true. It's not really the person of Jesus that people have a problem with. It's our projection of him. It's when we get in the way of who Jesus really is. Or we start thinking for Jesus. Speaking for Jesus. Well, Jesus wouldn't be that. Jesus wouldn't do that. It amazes me to think of what God entrusts his church with. I mean, even that alone, the little I said, adds so much weight to our responsibility. The Father trusted people, imperfect, broken people. He entrusted you and me to curate his creation, to manage and take care of it. You don't believe me? Genesis 1 says this, Let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and all over the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on earth. And now, when he establishes his his kingdom, Jesus entrusts us to curate his culture. It's not just curate his creation, but curate his culture. We are to bring flavor. 
We are to bring taste. We are to bring the light. We are to bring the Jesus community. We are to bring the kingdom experience to our city and our communities so that they can know God, they can find Him, and they can repent, and they can uh, be transformed and have new life. Think about it like this. How many of you don't like the way our city is? Then ask yourself, are you salting it? Not just being salty. Are you salting it? How about this? How many of you are discouraged that our, that our current culture today is so dark? Ask yourself if you are lightening it up. If the culture is bland and dark, then we need to get to salting and lighting. When we intentionally love one another, one another, when we intentionally use our gifting and live out the love of God towards one another and this world outside these walls, we are salting a bland uh, uh, world and bringing light into the darkness when we love one another. So how do we bring this whole like mentality of, I love my church, this experience into our culture, into our world? Well, the first thing is this, if you're taking notes, here's what I know to be true. People will experience Jesus when we live like Jesus. I didn't say it was deep and theological today. People will experience Jesus when you and I live like Jesus. We can't separate, for some of you Bible scholars out there, Matthew 5, 12 through 12 from 5, 13 and 16. See, the Beatitudes are not an intro. They're not like an introduction, and then the salt and light part really begins, the sermon. They are all part of the same thought. Chapter 5, verses 2 through 10 is the Beatitudes. They are the values of the kingdom, motor, that what li- it compels us, it's, what's inside, it's the values we live by. Chapter 5, 11 through 12 is the promise, the promise of persecution and the promise of a reward. And then chapter 5, 13 through 16 is the charge and the call. The salt and light metaphors come out of the Beatitudes. Jesus has brought the kingdom of God through regeneration and renewal by His Spirit. The bottom line is, He transforms us. We are changed because of Jesus. We are not who we were yesterday. We are a new creation today. The Spirit produces in us uh, uh, a spirit of of poverty and mourning and meekness and righteousness and mercy and purity and peace. These are the characteristics of Jesus. These are the characteristics of the disciples of Christ that allow God to establish His kingdom in His way. And this is the kingdom life that God puts us in and that we then live out. We love out loud in full view of the world around us. The Beatitudes are a character profile of a person who says, you know what? I love my church because I know that God has planted me here to be a part of this assignment I love the church. 
There's nothing more amazing to me when the church, capital C, moves and operates in the way God intended for it. It changes, it changes the world. So seasoning and shining isn't only about the message that we declare with our lips. It's about how we go about our lives. It's just not what we do on Sundays. It's really about how we live our lives as soon as we walk out those doors. It's just not lip service. It's a lifestyle. And lifestyle is the emphasis here. Being salt and light is about the message that we declare, not with our mouth, but with our actions. With our reactions. With our responses. And everything in between. We can't separate the message from the lifestyle. This is about who we are and how we do what we do. The value the values in you, as you live, the kingdom bring flavor to the bland, decaying world that's all around us. The values in you, as you live, the kingdom bring light to the world that's living in darkness. People will experience the kingdom when we live its values, and this helps us realize how to be a effective agents for God's kingdom, effective agents of salt and light in a dark world. Though, these show us how to love the church outside of the church, which is also an aspect of loving your church. We love the church and we show the love of Jesus outside. And we do this when we live the values of Jesus in our everyday, ordinary lives. Every day. Now, I don't know if you guys heard about this story, but there was this brilliant guy, probably in his 20s, a guy who in 2013 almost OD'd on soy sauce. It's an actual article, but um, we, we can get the pick up there later. Uh, a guy who... OD'd on soy sauce, a young man who drank a quart of soy sauce, a quart, and I wish I would have had a great illustration, uh, immersive experience, passed out a Dixie cup of soy sauce to everybody, so you can get the, a young man who drank a quart of soy sauce, went into a coma, and nearly died from an excess of salt in his body, according to a case report. The 19-year-old who drank the soy sauce after being dared by his friend is the first person known to have deliberately overdosed on such a high amount of salt and survived with no lasting neurological problems. It's a lot of sodium. I mentioned this story because it applies directly to how we live how you and I live. We are called to bring salt and light to our world so that people around us can experience the kingdom, not so that they can be blinded by the sun or not so they can be OD'd by, on sodium. So the question we have to answer is, are we seasoning and shining or are we all salt and no light? Let me give you an example of all salt and no light. A couple of years ago, my wife and I went to a John Mayer concert. 
And where was that? Uh, Shoreline? It was at Shoreline. And, you know, we were waiting to get through security and all of that stuff and waiting in the line and scattered through the crowd were a few people who were carrying signs that, that said this, repent of your sin and trust Jesus or you will burn in hell. At a John Mayer concert. I started watching the crowd around them. I started watching the crowd around these people with these signs. And I, I must be honest with you. I didn't see anybody walking up to them and going, I need Jesus. I didn't see anyone repenting. I didn't, I didn't see anybody in the crowd that looked moved or touched by God's Spirit. If anything, you know what people were doing? Just making fun of them and laughing. Is there truth in that message of that sign? Absolutely. 100%. But just because it's correct doesn't mean it's that effective. I'd argue that this is pouring a gallon of soy sauce down somebody's throat. No one walked away from those signs thinking, I want Jesus. I got to have Jesus. And I'd be willing to put money on it that no one passed him thinking, you know, I, I'm, I repent right here now. All salt, no light. Now, let me give you an example of seasoning and shining. I have neighbors. Their names are Bruce and Brenda. We've known them before we even bought our house. They invited us in when I was just kind of walking through the neighborhood, kind of surveying the landscape before we bought our house. We got to know them really well. So well that I ended up doing um, their, their son's wedding. But we got to know them so well, there was this one instant where, instance where I, I was out kind of doing something in the yard and Bruce came up to me and said, hey, I know you're a pastor and listen, if you can really pray for my brother because I think at the time he had just had a heart attack. And I said, absolutely, I will. And that only happened because of the relationship we built with Bruce and Brenda. I didn't go over there from day one preaching at him, telling him how wrong he was. For I wasn't being that Christian neighbor. Another example is my wife. She was in a Starbucks line a, a, a few years ago. And she was telling me the story. I said, yeah, I was just feeling good that I had this joy about me. And someone acknowledged that I was so joyful. And she had the opportunity going, hey, I don't know. It's, it's all Jesus, man. My word's not hers. But someone noticed how joy-filled she was because of Christ in her. And they acknowledged it and asked her why. And she said it was all Jesus. And I think many of you sitting here today have had similar experiences. You have met others that led you to Jesus. It, it's really easy to carry around a sign, 
turn or burn, fly or fry. It's a lot more difficult to be Jesus in the ordinary, in our everyday life. But it's in the trivial day-to-day stuff, in the office, in the grocery store, in your school, at work, wherever, in the gym, on the job, that people need to experience Jesus when they experience us. I'm part of a golf group, Martinez Golf Association. And uh, people know me as the pastor out of 60-some-odd people. I get introduced as Pastor George. So I'm like the resident pastor in MGA. That's why I love going golfing with friends, and they connect me with people who aren't Christ followers. I think it's because they don't want to have to be salt and light, so we'll let the pastor be salt and light. I don't know. We need people to experience Christ in us. It's in the trivial day-to-day stuff that we need to be salt and light, not gagging and binding. Think about your daily routines. Think about your coworkers, your classmates, your neighbor, the person that you're carpooling with, you know, the people that you run into while you're about your every day. Know this, that people will experience the kingdom from you in the normal And in those moments, the normal, they they become extraordinary as people taste and see from you that the Lord is good. The third thing, which I know to be true, those who have truly experienced Jesus will help help others experience Jesus. Matthew 5, 14, 16, it says, A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Say it with me. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they, what? May see your good works and not give you a high five, but acknowledge and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I hope that if we learned anything over the last four weeks of this series, we've learned that loving the church isn't about the building. Isn't about the building. It's not about programs. It's about relationships. Relationships. Primarily our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. There's a term for that, living a righteous life. Our relationship being right with God and our relationship being right with one another. But it doesn't stop there. We also have to love those outside of these walls. Outside of these walls. Think about the very first week when we read John 13, 15. It says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you what? If you have love for one another. Here's the thing. How can all people see us? How can all people observe us loving one another if we're never around other people? You can't season and shine when your ordinary is separate from the bland and darkness. Listen, you can't can't set the salt next to a potato and expect it to be flavored. Expect the flavor to change. But that's what we do. 
Sunday services, small groups, and the rest of our environments, what they do, they assist us to grow and become stronger in our faith. Sunday's not the destination. This is just the, the, the you know, <coughs> the huddle for the week ahead. We are to live Jesus and His values while we are living in the world. What are ways we could be making connection with, I mean, better connections with our neighborhood? What are ways? Let me give you a few as you stand, and I'm going to invite the worship team to come up this morning. Go ahead and stand with me. Oh, dude, we're doing this, and I'm used to standing in the dark. This is weird. What are some of the ways that we can begin making connections with our neighborhoods? A question sometimes asked, and it's one I wrestle with, and I've asked the staff this a couple of times, one which really needs to be asked by all churches, I believe. If our church ceased to exist, would, would anyone care? Would our neighborhood mourn? Would anybody miss Creekside Church? Not those attending Creekside Church, but those outside the church. Would there be a hole left if our church ceased to exist? Would somebody rush up and say, no, no, you can't go. Don't leave. You know, you got to keep going. We need you. Or if we were to, uh, if we were to, if we were to not exist, would our community even notice? Because here's what I believe, that we have to be a church that this community would miss. Not because of what we do, but because of who we are. Not for our own sakes, not, not our own sake, not for our own reputation, but because they are experiencing Jesus when they experience us. Let me give you a few examples of how you can get involved in your community with your church as a church to show the love of Christ to people. I don't know if you notice this, but there's a banner out there that says Trunk or Treat. We're going to have a few thousand people come on our campus on Halloween. Well, I can't believe we're celebrating Halloween. We're not. We're loving people. Just wanted to dispel that thought. We're going to get out there in full view and we as a church collectively, and I'm hoping we have a high percentage of you, uh, percentage of you involved in this not because we need your help because i want as much love being shared amongst as many creeksiders as we can so people who are far from jesus can take notice and say i want what they have and all i showed up was for candy we can love one another in full view that's why we're doing it Maybe you can participate in the harvest offering. We can't do everything physically and tangibly from local to national through the world, but we can give. We can give what God's blessed us with to have an impact and get that, those resources in the hands of people that are effectively ministering the message of Jesus to those that we will never be able to reach. You can pray and be a part and serve and celebrate recovery. That happens every Monday. There are people showing up, 30 to 40 people sometimes showing up that have hurts, habits, and hang-ups. 
Maybe, maybe you can serve there and join other Creeksiders in knowing that, listen, you're not left behind. You're not forgotten about. I'm with you. I'm praying with you. I'm going to walk beside you because Christ in me is compelling me to do it. And God is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And he's walking with me. I'm going to walk with you because he's walking with us through this. You can also build authentic relationships and connections with other people one-on-one. Host a block party in your neighborhood. I've done it multiple times. Get to know your neighbors by name, not just a wave when you shut the garage door. I called my next-door neighbor because I left the house in a rush. I thought I left my garage door open, and I got a lot of stuff in my garage. So I called him like, hey, Dave, dude, sorry to bother you. Um, Can you make sure my garage is... He went out of his house, physically stood, (laughs) looked at my garage. He could have just looked out his window. It's like, no, checked it. It's all good, man. Get to know your neighbors. How How about you do this like my wife and I do on our date nights for years, almost every Wednesday on our date night, we would go to seize candy on Contra Costa. I'm telling you, we'd go to dinner, Tahoe Joe's when it was open, and then we'd go to Seize Candy to get dessert, a few pieces. We got to know Sylvia. We got to know Donna, the manager. And these are people that we, uh, Pastor Christina and uh, Pastor Jacob and Chris and I took Tim's of Caring out to a restaurant last week after church. Sylvia walked up. Oh my gosh, George and Kristen. We haven't seen her in months building relationships. Maybe you have a favorite place you go that you're getting to know people. Let them see Christ in you when you go there for your dinner. Maybe another example of things you could do on your own. Join a sports team. Get involved in something. Join the PTA. Help serve the homeless. There's a friend of mine named Eve typically sits in the back passion to the streets it's an organization that we've supported and been a part of and they do some amazing work for those who need a hand up and I know that some of you on Fridays you go down to the homeless uh, where they're feeding and showering and, and, and giving some dignity to those who are without jump on board with that do something to connect with people. It's been said that Christian make, Christians, they make horrible neighbors. They're judgmental. Complain about everything. But here's the deal. Let that never be said of us. Let that never be said of us. Let us never think, oh, I'm going to get in the car and I got my Creekside hat on. I'm going to take that off and put it in the back seat because I know I'm driving 680 right now. Don't want anybody to... Because here's the truth. You've heard it said that the local church is the hope of the world. I'm going to take that one step farther, and I'm going to say that Creekside Church is the hope for Martinez and the surrounding communities. We should have, like, given some praise for that. I'm just saying. (laughs) 
So let me pray as we close this out. Heavenly Father, we come before you with grateful hearts. We thank you for reminding us of the importance of being the salt and light in our community, for helping us understand that our love, that our love for the church impacts the world for the gospel. Lord, help us to live out the values of Jesus in our everyday lives. May our actions and interactions reflect your love, your grace, your truth to all of those that we encounter. May our lives be a a living testimony of your transformative power, God. We also pray for the courage to reach out and build authentic relationships with our neighbors and our communities. May we be a church that is known for its love, known for its compassion, and service to those around us. Let our presence be a source of hope and light in this darkness. Lord, we commit ourselves to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, to bring the taste and the atmosphere of your kingdom to this world who so desperately needs it. Father, empower us to shine your light, your light, Father, in places where there is darkness and bring flavor to a bland world. And Father, as we leave this place today, may we carry the message of Jesus in our hearts and we put it into practice in our everyday lives. May we be a church where people experience Jesus when they experience us. And we pray this, Creekside Church, in the name of Jesus Christ. And you said? Amen. Amen.